very welcome. It's episode 27, season 4, and we're finally here at the final round of games in what has been an utterly bonkers League of Ireland season with every Premier Division game having something uh, of meaning in it. A really, really fascinating last round of games. And also we have the First Division playoffs, which is going to be a key part uh, of the show today with myself, Johnny Ward, and Dan McDonald. Today's guests, Tim Clancy and Alan Reynolds, uh, who are going to be live with us very shortly. And we're also going to hear from John Caulfield, going out to manager, ahead of the Belfield Bowl uh, playoff uh, on Friday night and it's Sunday evening for all those massive games and we um, in the midst of all of this we have Dundalk's Europa League run continuing as well so much going on thanks to our sponsors Lotteland where you find all the odd special bets the rest of the SC or Tristy League Premier Division season check out lotteland.e forward slash sportsbook make sure to stay tuned as we'll be giving out some of their LOI specials during the show you can find us at Podcast Republic, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes at LOI Weekly on Twitter in association with AeroSportAndIndependent.ie. Before we get to Alan Reynolds, the Ireland Under-21 assistant manager who's been at both Watford and Dundalk this season, uh, Tim Clancy uh, is live uh, on, on the phone on the way to Dublin to meet the chairman, which must mean you're already planning for next season. And congratulations, Tim, on Drogheda's epic first division success. Cheers, Johnny. Yeah, um, en route to meet the chairman to sit down and discuss uh, the plans for next season but it'll probably be a guessing game because you said there it's been a mad season and uh, I think it's still up in the air in regards to what's going to happen next year so it's a bit hard to talk about budgets and whatnot when um, the long term future in regards to fans and whatnot it's still up in the air Dan, before we came on, you had a, a bit of an update for me on this in terms of what clubs are supposed to do next season in terms of budgets because this is weird like no scenario has ever been like this before pre-season I guess yeah, listen, and Tim will obviously be aware of, of this or, or, you know, will be made aware of this today that certainly you know, the FAI have sent out provisional sure. information to clubs because anyone involved with a club will know you have to submit your budget and you have to go through various processes. But it's very hard at the moment to know what length the season will be next year. Will we have spectators? What support will be there? Because it was obviously that 3.3 million package that, that got the league going again. Now, that wasn't all sort of new money, some of that was concessions around entry fees and, and, and stuff like that. But, he, but either way, clubs have been told it's almost guidelines for budget. It's not quite rules, but it's guidelines to assume there will be no spectators, to assume that there will be a full season or you know, close to a full season, to assume that the support will be similar to the compensation they got this year, and to try and plan on that basis. Now, that's very much a guideline. Um, I think they're probably hopeful that there will be more support forthcoming from, from, I suppose you know, the state effectively, um, and that the, and that maybe, you know, there'll be there will be fans during the season, but it's almost like they're trying to prepare that to be a bonus, um, and what it means is that this winter it's going to be challenging. The clubs who have individual backers can probably, you know, the richer ones can get around it. Um, but it's a it's a it's a it's a clubs market rather than a players one this winter in the sense that clubs are probably in a position to offer a contract players less than they might have got last winter, mm. uh, and and of course they will say, well, listen, because of COVID, because of fans, we can't give you any more, um, and that's going to be uh, difficult. Um, and of course, you have managers like Tim, of course, who are naturally hoping to 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 compete in the market for players. Um, so it's it's going to be tough, yeah. And I mean, I, like Tim, I don't know. It's 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 a strange one, Tim, for you because I'm, I'm sure you'd like to contact players. I mean, I'm sure you might even do a bit of that, but it's it's all a bit up in the air, is it, in terms of what you can do? Yeah, until uh, until you sit down and 
you work the figures out as you're saying there a lot of it is guesswork though um you're not too sure what you're going to be working with and um, so we're going to be working on a very tight budget anyway irrespective of COVID, had to play a big part this year um, we weren't going to be one of the clubs with the biggest budgets in the league so yeah we'd be competing for players and geographically it probably gives us a little bit of an advantage being where we are um for players around dublin and as you said there, I think uh, the clubs will probably be in a little bit stronger position this season than they have in previous years. And you might see a lot of clubs working with a tighter squad and uh, maybe having a bit more versatility in regards to player recruitment and they can cover a few positions um, rather than fill them up and specialise the players in each position. Are you really? fearful of losing players as well as obviously the need to bring some in? Uh, I'm not too sure. I think... Uh, I think we'll hold on to the, the vast majority of the players that we have. And um, I think the one thing that it's probably lost to the League of Ireland is a bit of continuity in regards to squads every season. Um, and it's no surprise that the successful squads over the last lot of years, the Dundalk squad that Stephen had built for five or six years there, they had the bulk of the squad every year that stayed there for long periods. Um, Shamrock Rovers now have had the, the core of their squad and they've added to it each year and they've had success. So we've been lucky enough now that we've had the the majority of our squad for three years now since I've been here and some of them were there previous to me. Um, so we're hoping that we can continue that on and um, keep the familiarity of the, of, the, of the playing staff and add a couple more to it. And I suppose then you're only trying to implement maybe four or five players into our squad rather than um, starting a whole fresh and only having four or five there to, to keep the, the ship going, as I say. Rennie, like you've been through the, the challenge of, of bringing a team up you know, from the first division to the Premier um, like how difficult is that? I mean, you obviously know you're going up a level, but there's a, you have a continuity, as Tim mentions, with, with, with players that have worked well with you too. I mean, what what is the challenge like, sort of making that adjustment? Look, it's it's good to to keep the basis of what you had over the last few years, and Tim's has stuck with it. Um, but it's also to try and add maybe four or five ones that are a little bit ahead that could that could bring on the younger ones that Tim has but also improve the, the team. So I think Tim's right in what he's saying. There's no point in keeping four and trying to bring in 14, 15. Those players aren't out there. It's it's trying to identify the best one. And, and for Tim, and this will be the same for any manager, recruitment will be everything. You know, you, you have to get it spot on. I think there was something on over the last few weeks about Cork getting recruitment maybe not as right as they, they would have hoped. So I'm sure Tim is, is ahead of the game in this. His recruitment of those four, five, whatever he's talking about, is spot on, the right type, the right character, but obviously has to be good enough to make an impact. So um, I think it's a way to go, um, as Tim was talking about. What have you made of the job he's done? Oh, fantastic. Look, there could have been stages over that, that period where Tim could have walked away. And it's also one of those that I'm surprised clubs haven't headhunted Tim because um, he's done so well. Because they know that the budget's small. Um, but the way they haven't played, they were really... I, I played Tim in the, in the cup a few weeks, a few years ago with Waterford, and uh, we were lucky to get out the, the same way with a win. It was one 0 but uh, the style of play they had, a uh, real attractive brand, but a good hunger about the group of players he has. So um, he's done really well. I, I just think it's a shame that their first game of the season next year might be at home to Rovers, and the place isn't going to be packed. They've got promoted, and, and that'll be just a shame. But everything else has been really good. Yeah, I suppose Tim, it's been a bit of a bit of a journey for you so far yourself and Kevin Doherty. Kevin obviously lost his father this year, and it was a special kind of, I suppose, night for him when you did get the job done. But um, it must have been a great sense of relief because you've gone so close prior to this. 
yeah, listen, again, it was a, uh, uh, there was a lot of ups and downs throughout the year, and I suppose with the lockdown, um, Kev's dad wasn't too well beforehand, but he was still at every one of our games. Um, last three seasons, home and away, he went to practically every game and never missed it. And I know that uh, throughout Kevin's playing career, he was, I'd say, he was at the vast majority of games home and away as well. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a moment for Kev then after when he lost his dad that the lockdown sort of ended and it was the big build-up of getting back to play. And then I suppose we were all looking forward to it, and it was a little thing in the back of his mind that was the first game without his dad so um, and I know like uh, again you say small things like but he was delighted after the game and he says that his, his dad would have been absolutely buzzing with um, us getting promoted eventually after the, the heartache of the last few years but yeah listen, it was a very strange season Johnny um, you sort of miss out in that moment where your fans aren't there for the, the final whistle on the last day when you get promoted and were there for the heartache last year when Shells beat us in the second last game and they travelled in numbers up the Ballyboe play the last two years and lost in miserable nights um, with weather and they were standing and getting uh, drenched in the rain and they, they were there for them moments and they never got to enjoy the, the moment out in um, Stradbrook but as, uh, as Rennie said there as well that it's, it's hopefully now which it probably doesn't look likely but we'd love to be able to have the fans back in for the, for the start of next season or at least at some stage next year. Tim, you, you, you said last week, you, you, you gave the story that when you came back from Bally Buffet last year and you lost, that uh, you slept in your car when you got back home. You, didn't, you couldn't even face going into the house. I mean, that, that must be, like you, you've had a long career as a professional footballer, um, but that, that sounds like a, a low to compete with anything you've experienced. Sounds like he's a row with Shawnee, really, does it? <laughs> to be honest with you, I think she was delighted I stepped in the car. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, yeah, I did. I came back and uh, it was about half one or two in the morning and I actually hadn't got the keys on me and she was in the house and I said, you know what, I can't even, I can't even be annoyed going in and waking her up or anything. Um, I just stayed, I've never been as, as flat after a game of football and it wasn't more so for myself. It was seeing the likes of Connor Kane and Mark Doyle, a couple of young lads who are away from, away from the, the training pitch and away from games. They look after themselves, they eat the right foods, they go to the gym, they do the recovery sessions. And it meant the world to them as two young players. And I'm saying it to them, like I'm saying, obviously, Sean Brennan as well, then a local lad, and throughout the whole squad. And you can see it really, really affected a lot of them. And you're just left absolutely devastated and deflated after a whole year's work comes down to um, you're nine minutes away from going to penalties and having a chance of getting promoted. Uh, you can see the goal, and then you see the you see the joy and everything in the Finn Harps players. And you sort of just feel absolutely down. And, and I suppose the weather was miserable. Everything about it is a long, probably the longest journey home for us in the country. So... Everything that you didn't want to be doing after losing the game was probably that night. Um, and we sort of took that in this year to, it, was, it turned out to be three quarters of a season for us or two thirds of a season for us. And I know it was only half a season for the Premier Division, but um, it, was, it was just at the end of the day, it was, it was just really, really um, relief more than nothing else to get over the line. You're able to speak about it now, I suppose, re- reflecting on you know a, a good memory on, on, on an achievement of going up. I'm just wondering, like, how demanding have you found management just as a job? Like, you know, compared to the life of a player and the responsibilities of a player, like this is, a, you mentioned, like, you're thinking about other people and other responsibilities. And other, like, how, how much has it taken out of you, I guess? Uh, listen, it's completely different. I don't think anything can prepare you. And Rennie will be saying the same. And um, it literally is, as soon as you, you finish a game on a, on a Friday night, if you get a good result, you have that, maybe 10 minutes in the dressing room when you do your little debrief after the game and you speak and all the players are delighted 
as soon as you step out of the room then and go into your office and sit down with, with the assistant manager or the coaches or whatever, you're now planning for the next game and you can't enjoy any wins because straight away you're looking at um, who's played, the team you're playing next week, you'll do your analysis and any player suspended, injured, who was missing and you start picking apart that game and then you start wondering about your own squad selection and team selection to um, what would be best against the, the opposition that you're playing. So, And then it's the same when you, when, when you lose a game, you're you're wrecking your brain to try and wonder could you have done that differently and um, it's also that feeling that you're sort of a bit, little bit helpless on the sideline that you can't affect the game as a player you can concentrate on your own actions on the pitch and that sort of takes um, your mind away from the, the maybe the outlook of the whole game if that makes sense um, yeah. you're looking at your individual performance where on the sideline you're looking at every single aspect of your own players and the opposition to see um, where it's going wrong or where can you fix it or um, and stuff like that so it is it's, it's very very demanding and um, you're on the phone every day all day constantly making phone calls and um, especially at the League of Ireland at the level I remember Pat Fenlon said to me when I came back he says if you're, you're not a manager in the League of Ireland you're a secretary you're organising buses you're um, organising training grounds you're, you're, you're practically doing everything so um, and that is the case especially down at uh, Drada where we don't have the resources to have maybe like a Stephen McPhailin or Shamrock Rovers that's able to um, do a lot of good work behind the scene um, to help Stephen Bradley and um, other clubs will have structures the same way so especially in a part-time setup, um, it is difficult Yeah because you're, 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 you're working nights right this is the thing that you're, you're a, you've got a young family and you're also working nights as well so I'm sort of wondering where you uh, where you're fitting in your sleep here yeah, well, uh, I do. I work uh, 11 at night to 7 in the morning and then and normally I, I get in and uh, the kids will be getting up going to going to school. So when they go to school, I normally get the head down for as long as I can. And then listen, it's not too bad now that uh, I can get back um, back to bed in the evening time if I don't get that much sleep because there's no training. But for four nights of the week during the season, um, it's out the door at four o'clock to head to training. And then maybe you're not getting back into half eight and nine and you're getting your dinner and um, sitting down for maybe an hour and then you're off to work again. So it is a bit demanding, but listen, that's the, that's the situation I find myself in. And as you said there, the, I have uh, four kids and a wife that um, they don't, uh, or they go hungry no matter where, what I'm doing or where I'm working. So they have to be fed and bills have to be paid. So it is what it is. Was that stressful for you to just, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Homer Simpson when the, the door is shutting on his head and he's lying on the ground at the quickie marks, he's doing two jobs and his head is just gone. Was it, was it tough this season to, especially after bad results, go into a night shift? I'm hoping you're not uh, taking Homer Simpson because of the shape of me now, Johnny. I hope <laughs> let, myself, let myself go a little bit like what? Um, no, like, to be honest with you, um, in at Musgraves is very good. They're very accommodating around me football and, uh, most Friday nights I won't work. Um, I'll end up uh, getting the Friday night off. So after games, then I might go in on a Saturday and Sunday and make up the hours that I miss, um, or else use it use it as a holiday. Um, but it is like it again. There is occasions where I've gone in to work after a game, and if you've lost, like it's just it's the longest eight hours you're ever gonna gonna have. Like, and I do sit and look at other managers, and I, I am a bit envious that after a game on a Friday night they can go home, get some sleep, and then they're in the next morning preparing for the next game. So um, listen, I'm hoping that at some stage, uh, either draw it, if we can go full-time, we'll be in that position, or maybe if another opportunity came up further down the line, that uh, I'd be able to get back into full-time football. Your, your immediate priority is draw it? Yeah, obviously, listen, again, we're delighted to get up. Um, we know it's not going to be easy next year. Um, it'll be slightly different, I think. 
Uh, we won 12 out of 18 this season, so um, next season we know we're probably going to um, lose a hell of a lot more games than we have over the last two seasons, um, or three seasons, should I say, and it's going to be a completely different um, approach to games. Uh, we were scored a lot of goals over the last three seasons, and um, we know it's going to be a little bit more different um, coming next season. It's going to be a bigger challenge and all, but something that I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure when we get the squad all sorted, that they'll all be looking forward to it as well. Renny, what's what's it like there from your perspective? You've had um, you obviously had the Watford job uh, up until you moved on to Dundalk, and now you're with the 21s. But um, can you relate to what he's saying there in terms of trying to marry being a footballer, football manager, which is completely a full time job, and then trying to do something else, basically the other eight hours of the half day that you've left or whatever? Yeah, look what Tim is doing is it's remarkable, isn't it, to to hear him speak about that. Um, I couldn't see too many managers being able to do that and, and the only reason he does it is he loves it he loves the game and I think any anyone that's involved with us managing coaching you've got to love it and be willing to put in the, the hours and, and the efforts otherwise you'll fall short I think but I was a little I had a little bit of it with the Dundalk and the Irish 21s um, and I, you know really I the Dundalk one ended before we came into the, the campaign but even leading up into the to, the game against Italy I was struggling to go where am I fitting in the work to do mm. my research on Italy obviously Jim Crawford is the manager and he's has demands on you need to do certain things Vinnie Perth was the manager Dundalk wanted certain things done so it was tricky trying to balance all those up but um, look it's something you enjoy doing Johnny you know you, you know it could be worse you know you could be working night somewhere you know, listen to, to Tim talking about it. Like, I mean, you're going doing something you love and it, it was full time with myself and and um, I don't know how Tim could keep going at that. Like, you know, especially in the Premier Division with all the games and, you know, it'd be a tough, tough ask. But you've got to love it. Rennie, like, I don't know if someone, if you're chatting to your, to your mate of yours and they said, how was your football year? <laughs> how, how, how would you sum it up? Because it's it's been a journey in its own way. Oh, stop the lights. Um yeah, it's definitely been between even with the whole COVID thing, it's uh it's just you know, there's a stage is this I was going, what's this all about? Like, you know, I'm going, you know, has it just run its course? Have I had enough of it? You know, I'm going you're fighting, fight, fighting all the time, constantly at the start of the year, getting a budget, trying to get the, a, a group of players in, getting them signed into COVID, just messing constantly you know with wages then as it's going on and then obviously going to Dundalk which was great in the 21s and and you know obviously there was stuff going on behind the scenes you know with Finney you could see I could see when I was going on what was going on it was wearing them down um, and to, to me look, it looked like I'm not sure exactly what was going on behind the scenes but it looked like it kind of broke Finney at a stage there it wore him down that he couldn't keep going with it and, uh, you know, so then it was a case, look, Vinny's gone. In fairness to the two Italian lads that came in, I had no problem at all. They came in, had a meet with him, and, and I went to him and said, look, I'm, I'm gone. Another manager has brought me in. I said, look, I'll go. You have your own ideas anyway. Um, so that was my, my take on it. But it was definitely, Dan, as you're saying, it was scratching my head with it at times and going... Uh, I'm going, I'm looking at some of the owners that have clubs and I'm wondering are they in there for the right reasons? You know, I, I look at, at Derry and I don't know Philip authority up in there, but they seem to be, they seem to love the, the club. You know, they're in there for the right reasons. They want to see, they support it. it it's, 
they, they're from the Derry region. Then I look at some of the other owners and I'm going, why are they really getting involved in it? Now, I don't know Tim's owners and that, but I'm sure they're in it for the right reasons. But like, they've got to, you know, buy into it and, and want to build a club, not, you know, oh, yeah, here's a few quid, try and get a, a squad together, but not really care about the community building a club. It's only building a team you're doing, not building a club. So, you know, it's been a difficult one, Dan. It's been, it's been tricky this year. Yeah, yeah, I'm almost trying to guess which club you could be talking about there. It's, all, <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost vague enough that it could be one or both. But I guess, you know, you're going to... If you go to the dock, and I guess from the outside, I mean, look, I, mean, I know you know people there. You would have, you, you, you would probably have would have had an idea about what the dock has been like as a group, as a dressing room. But look, what you found was that very different to what you expected in terms of the the atmosphere. Uh, I tell you what was difficult. And Vinny spoke about it a number of times. Is he had twenty three or twenty four players, right? And that was to cater for the amount of games they would play, and so they. they you know, cater for playing two games a week and then Europe and so on. But obviously COVID comes in and it changes everything. So you're 24 players there and every one of them thinks they should be playing. Mm. They're all good players, a bit of experience, all good wages. They all think they should be playing. Then there's the lads that come over from the UK, lovely lads. And again, you know, we should be playing here. And uh, it's very hard to manage that then. You know, it's, it's mm. next to impossible where you're going one game a week it's only 11 playing, there's another 13 not playing. You might have a couple of injuries. So I found that, and I'm sure Vinny would say the same, like that was nearly impossible to, to manage for Vinny, number one. And number two, then, they, you know, obviously, you know, they're pissed off when they go down onto the training ground of not being playing. So I think, I'm sure, you know, if Vinny looked at it and knew that there was only going to be so many games, he would have took about six or seven off that squad. It'd be easier to manage then. So that was definitely difficult. And I think also... Um, the likes of some of the, the Stevie O'Donnells and that who have moved on, you know, I, I think you know, they were big influences in in Pat's uh, or in Dundalk at the time. So um, I just think, you know, I, I say Vinny probably say this, it probably it probably needed change because it definitely had wore him down. The owners, for whatever reasons, had wore him down, and maybe it's ran its course a little bit because uh, it, it felt it was gone a little bit stale. Had you lost the dressing room, kind of? No, I don't. I wouldn't say they lost the dressing room. You know, like Vinny had a great, good relationship with all the players. I wasn't there long enough to have a relationship with, with any of them, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I, to be honest, Johnny, I didn't want to have a relationship with anyone. Mm. Mm. I just come in to, I said to Vinny, we're going till the end of the season, see how it went, and then we, we, we go from there. Now, they're all nice lads now. I'm not saying they had any problem with any of them, but that's the way I was with it. But I just didn't feel right with the amount of players that they had. And, you know, then obviously when players are playing, Tim would tell you this, the players are not playing there. Ah, the manager is this, the coach is this, and everyone else is wrong, barred themselves. So I think the major problem was the size of the squad. What about um, the, the situation now with Waterford? Like a Waterford squad that you basically played a massive part in recruiting. Like, there's every chance they're going to qualify for Europe now. I mean... Certainly, certainly, top four finish anyway seems very plausible for them. Like, do, do you still feel a sense of I don't know satisfaction with that? I mean, that, that that some of those players, you know, that you recruited, even the overseas ones like Ali Kush and you know Matty Smith and some of these, like it, that they've actually turned out to be decent signings in a way. Can you can you feel some pride with that? Yeah, look, it's it's great and and it's great to see that and 
we've always at Waterford had a really um, good group, good team spirit, good atmosphere around the place because the squad has never been really big. Everyone's within touching distance of playing. Then you might have four lads living in a house together just across from that might be another four. So there was always that togetherness in the group and uh, that goes with having a small squad. So that was something we always played on. Uh, Lucky with the facilities and the RC is really good as well. So it is, like I look at them and, and see a real togetherness in everything they do. The team nearly picks itself for the last few weeks, bar one or two, but it is. Because even look at Robbie, Robbie McCord, who's had a really good season. Um, had been playing with Talca Rovers, I think, this stage last year. Um, Tyreek Vincent coming back. So there's a lot of them, and it's good for themselves, for their career, because it gives them a chance to, to get going again. But it still feels, though, I'm sorry, Johnny, like... You, you've worked in the circumstances there and it would be great if the club made Europe, but it does feel like potentially, and you've been there, I think you've spoken about the silence from the club at times that we talk about heading into an uncertain winter and unfortunately with the recent, uh, I guess, track record of dealings between the owner and say the management, like it feels like we could still have an uncertain winter in Waterford because you were through that in the summer. But let's be honest, people weren't even sure if the club was going to come back and play. Yeah, and look, on the other side of that, Lee Power could turn around and say, well, look, the proof is in the pudding, we're going to qualify for Europe. Like, this has happened every year with Waterford. There's no player, maybe one or two that are under contract. But every year, first year we get promoted, second year we finish in Europe, fourth. I know we didn't play in it. So Lee is looking at it and going, well, look, anything I've done, the way I've, I've ran this, it's worked. But that's going to catch up. Like, you won't keep getting away with that. Um you know, at some stage, you'll, you'll fall short in that way. Like, they're going into uh, the season ends next week. And from what I can gather, all the players are out of contract. But Lee's probably, if you want it, will be. If you want to go, go. I'll get somebody else. It's, it's just, there's, there's so much potential there in terms of what they've done. And you do feel that the, the people will get behind them if we had crowds. Just to bring Tim back in on this, Tim, Watford could conceivably finish ahead of Dundalk if they win and Dundalk don't beat Sligo or lose to Sligo, which is, I mean, if you said that to Rennie at the start of the season, that he'd be at both clubs and Watford could finish ahead going into the last game of the season. What, what have you made of it, Tim? I know you were kind of, you were fairly confident that Shamrock Rovers would win the league this season, but it's been a bizarre Premier Division in many ways. Yeah, it has been. Um, I've just noticed in the big games, the Dundalk and Rovers games in the past, maybe two seasons, uh, Rovers are getting a lot closer. And I think last season, they, even a couple of games that Dundalk won, I felt Rovers were a better team in the game. Mm. Um, and they started to dominate the games a little bit more. And um, that confidence came. And obviously then the big monkey off the back in regards to the FEI Cup, um, I think that was a huge confidence boost for uh, Rovers at the end of last season. And I think they just kicked on even further now. Um, and I think Dundalk subconsciously maybe the levels have dropped a small little bit it's very hard to be consistent and I think um, Rennie touched on it there losing the likes of Stephen O'Donnell not even from the playing perspective but being around the dressing room and always probably the most respected player in that dressing room and he had a huge influence on the squad and when you start losing key players like that um, and key people around the squad and obviously Stephen leaving um, and then Vinny came in and done a good job the first year and then it was always going to be very difficult this year um, the point he made about the squad as well because is it a poison chalice to have so many players who are basically good enough to play but only 11 of them can yeah and listen again if if you sign a, a squad of maybe 20-25 players that are all capable um, we're the very first people to say that and football fans will be that if a player doesn't care and just there to pick up his money they hate that 
So mm. it's very it's, it's it's a hard thing to balance where Rennie's saying they all think they should be playing and rightly so every player in your squad should be thinking that they should be in your team. It's trying to balance that and keep um it's it's just managing the players that are starting every week is easy because they're happy either they're doing mm. the football and they're playing and they're doing exactly what they want. It's the ones that aren't in the team that you have to spend the most time um catering to and keeping them engaged and keeping them ready and uh, motivated for when they do get the chance. And as, as uh, Rennie said there, Dundalk would have planned for 36 league games, possibly do it at all. Right? We get four or five in the FEI Cup. We'll have a European run League Cup. So could have been the best part of 40-odd games or 50 games this season. Yeah. And that's been cut down now to 22 or 23 maybe. So it is, it is very, very difficult to, to manage the players um, and keep them all happy. Uh, yeah. The interesting thing now that Rennie said there in regards to the chairman is um, most chairman, I'd say every single chairman in um, the country here, they do it out of a hobby and out of something of interest. Um, it's not necessarily a career move for them, but for the likes of myself, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a, um, a career in the game and get into full time football again, and I've got ambitions to maybe go as far as I can in the game. It's very difficult for me then when you're looking for that extra bit of money, but the the clubs say, oh no, this year we're going to cut back the, the budget because we're going to save money. Um, and it's probably the right thing to do for the chairman's point of view, but it can be very frustrating for the manager then when they're trying to map out a career for themselves and um, do the best that they can. Yeah, well, I suppose just, just on that as well, like what, what have you made of the standard of the Premier Division to the two of you? Because it's been said to me several times, if Watford can finish third or fourth with three different managers, it doesn't say much for the depth of the league. Um, I would argue against that to an extent that I think Bowes did very well in Europe. I think Derry have a lot of good players. Pats are improved and Rovers are a very good side. And Dawkins maybe had a disappointing season. But Rennie, you've seen it from um, close quarters. What do you make of the standard? I just think it's been okay as all, Johnny. You know, yeah. with no crowd being there, um, it just trips it right down. So you're just looking at the game and nobody else, no atmosphere, nothing to it. And so many games have been decent. The majority of Rovers games have been really good because they're a really good team. Then you look at some of the other ones and there's a fear factor of losing, obviously, in them all. And, and, you know, look, it's easy. Nobody wants to offend anyone by saying, ah, yeah, it's great all the time. That's not true. Like, some of them haven't been you know, it would have to be a lot better than they've been in um, some of the games, but um, it's just, you said at the start, it's been a tricky season um, with having two pre-seasons, you know, and to stop starting at the whole thing and unsure whether players can play in that. So, well, I suppose where I'm going with it is some have been good and some not so good. Tim? Sorry, I think you'll, uh, you'll find out there, Johnny, that uh, at the start of the last season on Dock, where I think at one stage 11 points behind Rovers, Mm. And because this year is more of a sprint, I think clubs probably felt if they didn't get a good start, they were worried about losing games then, knowing that there was only maybe one more round of games coming. So the fact that uh, Rashad McCrover dropped to a great start again this year and Dundalk might have, I think they had a couple of draws at the start of the season, all of a sudden there was four or five points in it and there was only 12 games left or whatever it was. Um, so I think then with, with, with the other teams all the way around it, because there's only half a season um, you're never really going to create a gap between Europe and the bottom uh, relegation playoff. So a win or two every other week sort of keeps you away from the playoff and near Europe, but then you lose a game and all of a sudden you're looking at the playoff behind you for a relegation promotion rather than concentrating on Europe again. So because it was a very stop-start season um, and there was, it was obviously 50% of the games were knocked off, I think there was a fear factor of uh, teams losing games and um, not getting the... the 
the momentum to go on a run and, and, and put a, a string of wins together. Here, here's a stat for you, lads. Outside the, the, the current top three, the top, uh, including the Dawkers' top three, although it's possible they could be knocked out of it, the, the top scorer of a player outside of those clubs, I think this is an interesting stat. It's like it's, it's, Roland, it's Roland Coughlin and Sligo Rovers with five goals. That's five goals out of 16, 17 games for most clubs. Like, I don't know, does that say anything about the league in general this season? That even, like, when you were around the games and you mentioned the sort of the, the closed doors aspect, or, or do we just have an issue with just goals and creativity and actual, you know, a lack of, of players that can really impact things outside the, like, like Patrick Huber's the top scorer, Jack Byrne, Andre Wright, Graham Burke, Danny Grant, and then you're down to Aaron Green, Ronan Coughlin. Like, there is, the players outside the top three don't have that talismanic figure who can lift them. And I say of Ronan's goals, some of them have been penos as well, I'd say. Mm. They have, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Don Martin yeah. is next on four, you know. Yeah, yeah no, it, it is. Look at the better teams that are creating more chances, isn't it? It's, it's, it goes without saying. Um, you know, I think there's only an odd goal between. If you look at Waterford, from Waterford down to, say, Cork, and I've watched Waterford play Cork a few weeks ago, there's not between any of the teams. You know, mm-hmm. really tight, and, and, and any day anyone could catch anyone. Really bar, I take Rovers out of that. I think they turn up every week, and, and you can see by the results. That's really good, but uh, look, it comes down to the quality of the squad and the quality of the team as well. You know, the bigger ones don't seem to have a, tr- a problem scoring goals. Mm. Is, there, is there a striker issue, though, in, in terms of, you know, um, just a lack of proper good strikers in this country from both your perspectives? Uh, I think, Johnny, when you, when you, when you think about it, um, and there's been a pattern over how many years now, if, if you have, there's two positions, really, that if a player excels in this country to get Swapped, uh, swiped up and brought over to the UK and I think if, it's, if you're a young decent goalkeeper um, you get attention on yourself and you look at Gavin Bazuna got an unbelievable move over to Man City and if you go back uh, Conor O'Malley over to Peterborough and uh, further down the line was Brian Murphy over to I think over Cardiff wherever he went first I'm not sure ended up with QPR but mm. um, and the other position is centre forward if you're a striker and you're scoring goals at this level teams will it's the first thing that uh, draws attention is you're scoring a lot of goals so it's pretty hard then when you do get a player that is doing well and you look at Curtis that was at Derry and got a move over to Portsmouth and then Shawnee Maguire is doing well at Cork, gets a move to Preston. Um, it's very hard to hold on to um, really quality attacking uh, centre-forwards or strikers that get goals um, and develop them and then build your team around them because more likely than not, if they're doing really well and getting goals, they'll be out uh, across the water over to England. Really? Yeah, I don't look. I, I'd agree. They're hard to keep. Like I watched Pats and Dundalk the other day, and I thought Pats were excellent, really good. And, and at halftime, um, they'd missed two or three really good chances. You know, really good chances to go and and they needed to score. You know, fighting for Europe and all the rest of it. So it's the top end is where you have to spend the money. But every country in the world is looking for strikers. They're not out there. You know, you. Like we had Michael O'Connor as as uh, Waterford who, who went over to Scotland at the minute isn't playing over there, but everyone takes a gamble on strikers to get them. They're, they're gold dust. I think Tim, looking at Tim's team this year, they they had two or three lads who could chip in with goals compared to some of the other ones in the first division, and well, he'd be holding on to them. Yeah, um, I suppose just before I know you, you have to meet the chairman, Tim. But just in terms of next season, um, how how much? 
what can draw to do in terms of competing and how, how far can you go with this team and with the budget that you've had and with the restrictions that you've had in terms of it being quite a small club? Uh, well, it's, it's going to be a different approach next year because um, I'd say when uh, the league positions get finalised and the playoffs and all are all over, um, we'll probably be the favourites off the bat to get relegated straight away. Um, oh, Jesus Christ, Tim, you give it a rest. Ollie Horgan, Ollie Horgan just, is, is, is well, taking over I, his phone. I start, I'm starting to grow my hair here now as well. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, we probably will be, be looking at as one of the ones that maybe goes straight back down. Um, I think the benefit, I don't think Premier Division clubs give the First Division enough um, focus because there's a lot of really good players in the First Division. Well, you look at Chelsea and Athlone, which we, we haven't mentioned. Like, that's an incredible result. And, we, 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 you know, Athlone, who went up to draw, I remember, and won as well. A massive result that time. They showed their capabilities. And in fairness, in the First Division this season, Watford, Wexford rather, went up and battered Cabantilli away. There were some good players even at the lower teams as well. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, and um, I think the the age profile and the makeup of a lot of League of Ireland clubs now. I think if you had gone back 10, 15 years ago, you would have got a hell of a lot of experienced players, maybe in their thirties in each squad. Um, and I think the age profile is getting uh, lower and lower. And certainly the body shape and the professionalism of a lot of the squads is uh, completely different now than it maybe was 15 years ago. Um, and that will also buy into myself, where the younger the player and um, the lack of experience that they have, the cheaper they are for us. Um, but then a flip around for them is we also be able to give them the platform to play games and get attention to themselves. And um, next year we're going to have that where Rennie hit the nail on the head in regards to keeping the bulk of the young players. And then it's just about getting the right experienced ones in. And listen, I'll be able to tell you in about half an hour if I'm going to be able to get them in or not. Yeah, you, you, you will say you, 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 you leave us on the line there, Tim. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> You had a good career in Scotland and I, I've spoken to you a few times and you'd have misgivings about the professional um, maybe potential of this country or certainly where we're at at the moment. How far can we go with the young players that we have in this country or will we always be, you know, just will there be a ceiling on what we can do as a league in this country? I think um, we're definitely going down the right path, Johnny, in regards to the underage, the 1970s, 15s and 13s, the national underage um, pathway. We, we lost the best 20 or 30 players every year in this country and listen again and going back 20 years to when I was younger there was every year there was lads going to Man United Liverpool Arsenal uh, Man City Chelsea all the big clubs we're not really getting that anymore the players now are leaving and they might be going to no disrespect they're still big huge clubs like, but a Brighton uh, maybe a Knott's Forest and they're going lower down the, the divisions over there and maybe the, the levels but I think now with the underage we probably hold on to the players for a little bit longer um, and then You'll start getting, seeing them getting into the first team at, a, at an earlier age. And then the compensation that the players will get when they go over the transfer fees, it's going to go into the League of Ireland clubs and not the schoolboy clubs. Um, and that has to go into infrastructure. Um, I know the chairman, Connor spoke about it as well. But imagine if we did have maybe three or four Tallah stadiums uh, spread about the country um, and facilities like that. And... Uh, to be able to bring the game on a lot more and uh, again I think the FBI have done a great job with the Emerging Talent Programme kids are getting trained now from they're getting spotted and trained from 10-11 years of age where previously you might have got called up to an Irish under 15 squad done one training session played two internationals and then something under 16s European Championships so there's certainly been um, strides taken in regards to developing football I still think there's a good bit to go but um, I think there's certainly potential there and if, if we can get infrastructure improved um, and I know there's a lot of stadiums, uh, shells and 
Bowes are talking about merging and, and, and developing a stadium. Finn Harps have a stadium half built. Um, Dundalk have been talking about it. I know there's talk of Drogheda as well. So if we can spread out and get better facilities um, and we just have to try and break that ceiling in regards to football fans looking at uh, teams over in England. And it's not either or. You can support a team in England and also support your local club as well. And if we can get more bums and seats, um, it'll certainly help as well. Before you go as well, the, the managers that have um, an apologies to your chairman if, he's, if he says, well, you've turned up late for the interview, you can go screw yourself and we're not giving you a budget next season. <laughs> but uh, just in terms of uh, probably a point that I've made a few times, I think there probably are a lot of good young managers in this country as well. And the fact that there have been so many underage teams meant that they needed managers as well. And are there, is, is, this, is this a very good time for a young manager in the League of Ireland with obviously yourself, Long and Crawley, um, Stephen Bradley, Stephen O'Donnell and so on? Yeah, listen again. It's it's probably um, it's going to be dictated that uh, there's a lot more coaching badges and a lot more pro license and stuff have been put on, and it's every two years now, and uh, they're probably more accessible than they have been over the years. Um, and uh, listen, there's only 20 jobs in the country, so when I was offered one three years ago, 33, um, it probably was a good time for me because I didn't fancy doing another pre-season, the shape that I was in back then. But um, I don't think you can turn down the opportunity and. Once again, as you said yourself there, if you, if you get given the time, and I've been very lucky at Drogheda that I've been given three years and we've eventually got promoted and um, it's, a, it's a chance to learn and develop and uh, it's certainly a great, a great standard to go in at for a young manager and it's good to see like Ian Morris has gone in and uh, done well and if you look at all the, all the first division, there's very few um, uh, managers that would have been experienced and I know John's gone in at Galway and obviously it shows as well that when you have experience and you go in, you can do an unbelievable job as well, so... Um, there's certainly a balance there, but I think uh, young young managers are getting an opportunity, and that's good to see. You mentioned the uh, the preseason, not fans are going back at 33. Is is this a good time to bring up um, the time you were on the cruise? Uh, you were playing in Scotland at the time, and you fancy doing a bit of preseason work on the cruise? Yeah, well, I, w- I wouldn't have been one to keep the weight off me. I would have put weight on if I walked past the chip, and I've mind going into it. But uh, it was the year of my wedding, and we'd 11 weeks off. I think that year it was a long, long break. And um, I, let's say I, I enjoyed myself with the American sizes on my honeymoon. Um, obviously, the five litres of Coke with me McDonald's and stuff like that. So, uh, no, but I weighed myself and I was, I was hoping that they had different scales over there, but I wasn't. I'd end up putting 13 kilos on in about six weeks. So I started doing my run around, being a bit confident in fairness because I was over in Mexico on a boat. And I had my top off and I was shaking about as I was going around the, the track on top of the boat. And, Someone called me name and I turned around and was a Kilmarnock fan, so I was that killy at the time. So if, if I've ever got motivation to go and do a bit more running, I didn't stop then in 40 degree heat for a few hours. Um, so, where, so where are you going on the cruise this year then, Tim? Uh, by the looks, we're probably down the Boyne. I might start and trim and end up in Drada. And you'll stay in the Crown Plaza, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been great having you on and obviously congratulations to yourself, Kevin, all the... Um, management team and uh, you've, you've, uh, you've had a great season and great, great time with so far Yeah well listen I appreciate that and we know now exactly going in here now to this meeting hopefully we can get a budget or have at least predictions for it anyway for next year and then we can start planning um, it's exciting times and getting a chance to uh, do what Rennie did there and bring a team up and then compete and obviously just touching on it was you're saying the uh, uncertainty. If you look at uh, Rennie's time there at Waterford, he got promoted, finished fourth. They got knocked out of Europe because it was a new club and then um, gets another squad together and the chairman doesn't know if he's going to go or not and 
there's a lot of stuff you have to deal with. So when you do get the get the joyous moments, I suppose you have to enjoy it when you can. And um, there'll be certainly more dark days than there is good ones anyway. Thanks a million for coming on. No bother, lads. Appreciate that. Don't forget to visit lottoland.ie forward slash sportsbook where you'll find all the odds and weekly special bets for the SSE or Tristy Premier Division European markets. This week they're boosting both teams to score in the Shamrock Rovers versus St. Patrick's game Wednesday night from 2.3 to 3. So that's 2 to 1 for both teams to score. And to avail of this, visit the price booster section on lottoland.ie forward slash sportsbook. It, ha- it has been pointed out to me, Rennie, by uh, someone on our production team. Keith Long is actually 46. Is that, is that, does that count as a young manager anymore? It's probably an old manager, actually, now, is it? It's hard to know, isn't it? Um, like, the younger managers are always saying, and uh, I was this. You're 46, oh, yeah, you're, actually, aren't you? You're 46 as well, yeah. you're saying. Yeah, Alan Reynolds, uh, 1974. Alf, Alf Ramsey was 46 when he won the World Cup with England. There you right. go. People always think right. he was an old man then. You know, it's all it's all, it's all but, a perception. Uh, all, all the younger ones are going, oh, you need you to need younger ones in. All the experienced ones, the older ones are going, <laughs> I, look, you need experience, you need this. What I would <laughs> find from my own time at Waterford, say a few years ago when I had Pat Fenlon with me, if you can have somebody like that, whether you're 33 and you want a fella, you know, who's been around it, I think you can't beat experience, you know, with you, whether it's you're starting off in the game, because they've been through it and they can guide, obviously it has to be the right person for, say, Tim or whoever it be, and have somebody to, to guide you and help you along. So, like, you know, I suppose there's an argument for both, isn't there? But it'd be nice to have, if you're a young manager, to have some experience with you. If you're an experienced manager, to have some young, uh, hungry coach that wants to develop. Yeah, Renny, look, how different a manager were you? Because you had your stint, you know, you, were, you went to an FEI Cup final, what, in 2004, as sort of a player manager, and to, like, you know, of recent times when you were managing, like, were you a completely different personality, like, in terms of how you approached it, or the same? Jeez, that's a good question, Dan. I was still mad back then, if that's any good to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, was, I wasn't sort of portraying you as a more, you know, uh, sort of, I don't know, like sort of uh, tr- turning, up with a, mature, turning up with a suit on the sidelines and a sort of, uh, you know. I, I, I don't, look, obviously, tactically and, and even on sessions, you're so much, I'm so much different than all the rest. Um, but my personality is my personality, so whether I was 28 or 29 or now 46, I, I personality-wise, I don't think I've changed a lot. Definitely on the game, I've changed a lot. But uh, look, I was player manager back then and uh, way too soon. And I was like, it was all grand the first year winning games and, and there was no managing. The second year, we were losing games. And then there was managing. And that's where I struggled, you know, because I hadn't got the, the know-how or the experience at that stage. But um, on the personality, it is, look, everyone has their own way of doing it. You know, I'm sure people would look at my way and go, you know, he he's very close to the players. Um, but I'm kind of looking, it's just my own style. I think if the players don't want to play for you in some way, you, you know, you're fighting to lose a battle. I think they've got to enjoy coming in training. I think they've got to want to play for you and themselves and the, and the team. So, you know, so whether it's right or wrong, that's that's the environment they try and create. You've now gone back to, I mean, look, the adult job you're working as an assistant and now with the 21s you're assisting. Like, are you, 
Um, are you still very much thinking I would like to go back and, and manage again somewhere, you know, in, in, in the yeah, near future? Look, yeah, at some stage, Dan, I would. At the minute, we focus on the 21s because, look, we, we obviously have a camp coming up in, in next Tuesday, next week, and we've had one. So there's a lot of focus on that. And, and actually, there's a lot of work goes in in between camps and things like that. So, uh, um, so that's where my focus is. And, and as well as that, there's a lot of learning in it because even when we're in Italy, like Jim is there, Jim Crawford, really good. John O'Shea is there, you know, really good. So I'm, I feel like I'm improving all the time, but also getting to see how other international teams play yeah. with the calibre of player that we had in the group in Italy. Like some of them are really good players, you know, that are playing, say, say Jason Knight with Derby, say Connor Masterson, Nathan Collins, the list goes on. But they're really good players, you know, um, and to, to be able to work with them. But I just feel that myself that I'd be improving all the time watching these and watching international football styles of play and that. So uh, that's my focus at the minute. Like, it's, it's interesting you say that because you've, you've obviously worked with like Darren Murphy when he was on his way up and, and Shawnee McGuire and it was, there's numerous others like a name like across your career, that, you know, in the League yeah. of Ireland, you, what you were around Wes Hulahan probably or, you know, people yeah. who've gone, gone on to great things. But what's it like to see, I suppose, a group of them together, that 21s? You know, you mentioned, like, there's a lot of excitement around this generation. Um, and you've mentioned some of the names there. So I'm not going to just throw more at you, but there's, there's more you could have yeah. mentioned as well. Yeah. Like, you know, like how, like, how does that even group compare to any group you've worked with before, even of adult men's teams, even? Like, a very promising group of, like, you know, Will Smallbone, guys who've played X amount of Premier League games and stuff. Yeah, it's a good one because somebody asked me the question when we were in on camp, if this group of players was together in the, the League of Ireland, would, would you think it would win the Premier Division? And I said, yes. I thought, um, you know, you're talking about Will Smallbone. And, and don't forget that there's another five or six or seven that has gone up to the senior squad as well. I just thought that there was, at another level, um, they obviously lacking a little bit of experience in certain stages, but that's natural for 2021. But the, the quality of them are really good. Now, for what level they go or what if they break through to the seniors, that's another matter, isn't it? To, to see whether they yeah. make that. But um, I just thought some of it was really good. Some of the players and, and like just Obafemi, who, like these lads are playing the Premiership, you know, so they've got to have, you know, uh, something about them. So, yeah, there is, it's a good group of players there, you know. But look, it's difficult because, um, you know, the senior international team is obviously going to take, you know, Jason. Yeah. So it would be nice to see them. But look, that's that's just where it is at the minute. And if you're working with a slightly better class of player, like, is it, in terms of how you're coaching and working with them, like, can they just execute things quicker, you know? Like, does it change how you do things with them if you know, okay, they have attributes that they can really move the ball quickly. They can exercise this or that. Or like, what what's the difference with working I, with I different suppose, levels? I suppose, Dan, when you look at it, if you look at, look at League of Ireland, you'd go, well, there's four or five in your group, say with Waterford, whatever ever group you are, there's four or five there. Jesus, they could really play at a higher level there. But at this one, there's actually 20 of them. You know, mm. so you're looking at and seeing stuff, seeing something in those four players and going, Jesus, that's some quality. But you're just seeing it more often with the 20, you know, um, like, they're, I'm going to say they're at a different level. There's some really good players at Dundalk, don't get me wrong, really, really good players. And these ones are, are you know, for me, 
we're at dad, if not a little bit ahead of it. It, it is kind of mad yourself and Rory Higgins where, you know, you're a League of Ireland stalwarts and now you're both heavily involved in the Irish setup. And what, what is that like now where that is your job? And you're obviously thinking, well, you know, Jim Crawford replaced Stephen Kenny. And, you know, where, where, where do I go? Am I now into a different sphere in terms of my potential here? And so we'll ditto with Rory Higgins. Look, it's hard to know. Obviously, Rory, that's a... Like, Stephen wouldn't have taken Rory if he didn't uh, think he'd be good at his job, number one. And I spoke to Rory numerous times, and he's really good on the game, a really good eye for a player, was a really good player himself, so he's a lot. But even, like, me coming in with Jim, my main priority is to, to help Jim in any way he wants. And obviously, you know... From a selfish point of view, we want to try and qualify for it. So you're there to help. And Jim has asked me to go in, which, you know, obviously I'm delighted with. That shows that he, he backs my opinion on things. But, but, you know, it's it's you've got to help your manager, you know, and whatever he needs from you. I don't look, oh, do I take this job? Do I take that job? I'm there now to, to do everything I can to help Jim. Yeah, I, I, I want to just ask you as well, what have you made of the uh, the senior team so far? Because um, the stats are bad, but like, I, I don't know, personally, I've been delighted with the way they've played. And also, do you, do you feel like from sort of 15s, 17s, 19s, 21s to the senior team that you have to kind of sort of embrace the philosophy of the similar philosophy of how to play the game? Yeah, look, look I've been really impressed with it. And, and... You know, they're trying to dominate possession, as you've seen. Obviously, people are talking about the final third not chipping in in goals, and then goals win games. So, and Stephen knows that too, you know, that it's just a final third. Can they get a bit of low? Can they get their other players available to play? Um, I think Stephen has changed uh, the philosophy a little bit in, in the way that he wants to play on the front foot. He wants to play an attacking brand, a high-press game. So that's going to take time save the under-15s and so on to, to adapt to it. I, I don't think they were doing that before Stephen came in, but on, on the way they're playing, really encouraged about their style of play, uh, just a final third. It, it's, we're going back to earlier talking about in strikers in, in the mm-hmm. score goals, and that's what Stephen's at as well, isn't it, to get his best players playing. Like If I look at the, the qualifier game, I think if they have Aaron Connolly playing, I think they win that game. You know, so he just needs that that bit of luck. But um, you know, I look at just me. I, I like that style of play, and and if we can just chip in with a few goals, we, I, you know, we'd all be happy. Rennie, just before we let you go, um, your your I see your former club Dundalk are, are in the Europa League group stages now, which is sort of a I mean, it is a mad story, really, given that the season was 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 probably quite fraught, as as you've touched on earlier on in the show. How do you feel they've done in the, the group stage game so far? Again, they play Rapid Vienna away on Thursday. Um, like, what do you think they can get from these games? Yeah, it's difficult, Dan, isn't it? Like, I mean, was their target just to make the group stages? Look, all credit to all the players at Dundalk for everything they've gone through for the whole year. And even to the, the two new managers, Shane Keegan, all credit goes to them for sticking. Because it was tricky and it was a mess, I suppose, at one stage. And they come in and settle it down. But the players take a lot of credit. And even to the manager, if I look at it from the outside, I'm looking, he's got Brian Gartner playing. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of experienced players. I know Dave Massey got injured, but he was playing Sean Hoare. So he's a different way of playing than, say, Vinnie or Stephen had. It's, it's making it solid first. And I suppose starting off, that's possibly that was needed. 
now I'm looking when they qualify for Europe. I hope they just don't go look. We've got where we had to, um, and now it's damage uh, limitation. You know, I think they were good in the first half of the first game. Uh, obviously, the Arsenal was a test, so you know I like them. They've nothing to lose, and and. It, I know, I think of the Arsenal game, and it's real five at the back, and it's easy for me to say, what are you going to do against them? You're hardly going to go on. Not a way to Arsenal, you're going to do it. But you have to have a go at him as well. So I'm hoping in, in some of the games in Tala, uh, or even on Thursday, that they go, you know, take the shackles off, have a go. And if you, know, you never know. You know, you never know. If you go in with slow damage, just keep it tight, keep it. So I see this thing that they didn't know fouls, and they were getting... Yeah. Uh, what did you like, make of that? You know, everyone was delighted with that. I was going, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they should be fine for that. Entirely <laughs> a badge of honour, like, you know. Um, I, I was a bit like that as well. In fair, I think Gartland refs in the interview with Dan. I mean, that's second. He got away one. with a couple. Got yeah, away with and Gartland did. Well. Yeah. But uh, my question for you, actually, who do you want to finish third? Walford or Dundalk? Walford. That's, uh, that's, in, in fairness, I, I've, I, watch, I watched Watford against Pat's first game of the season and uh, I, was, I was having a joke with you that you literally got these lads in the last few days and you were, you were, you were fairly promising and all this bonkers stuff happened. But I've I, I watched Watford probably more than most clubs in the Premier Division and uh, I've been really surprised at how good they are and I, I, w- I really do wish them well. I think they've... I think, you know I what, Johnny? We were just talking about that. What Waterford have had, I've said it, repeat myself, they have this togetherness. Mm. Right? They're all they're all living in Waterford. They're all together. Like, you go to Dublin, they go home, you know, which is natural. They go home to their families or wife or, or there might be a few in the house. But down in Waterford, you're down there and they do everything together. They go everywhere they go for lunch. They, even the likes of Tremor to the beach. So mm. there's a real togetherness. And I think that's one thing that stands and helps that that group. But speaking of togetherness, what about the Caulfield revolution, your old buddy in Galway, some turnaround? Hasn't he just turned Say you're happy with that, Johnny. Absolutely delighted playing. Uh, the, the biggest turnaround of all time, Rennie, the biggest turnaround of all time is Johnny Ward's relationship with John Caulfield. <laughs> they're, they're embracing in the Carlisle grounds last week. Johnny with his mask below his nose, right? Big hug, <laughs> big hug with his mate, Jason. It was like Gary Barlow and Robbie Williams coming back together or something. Yeah, they've, they've, had, they've, they've had their creative differences over the years, but now, but now here they are. Uh, while, while, while Pat Dolan was watching on like a North Korean minder, but in, in any event, uh, it's been, it, it has been, I'm sure you've uh, taken some um, fun out of the fact that the Galway story is so bonkers for one thing, that like they should be gone they should be well, whatever you say they're, and now they're two games off being in the Premier League I know, I know it's mad isn't it but like if they go up then there seems to be investment there as well Johnny isn't mm. it so um, and, and John will recruit well no doubt you know if they get up but uh, it's funny the way you change your tune Johnny you've no loyalty you know that none you know, whatsoever you, know, you have to love your manager <laughs> <laughs> How do you predict it'll go? Who do you predict? Who do you predict Rennie will finish in the playoff from the Premier and First Division, and who'll win it? Jesus, who'll win it? Can um, Hearts pull it out and beat Watford? Yes, I think I think that could happen. I think Ollie could get a win there. Um, I think that. What, what's a draw? If it was a draw, Waterford and Finn Harris, where does that leave? Well, Hearts have to win. Hearts have, have to win. win. Um, and that, yeah, um, the playoff, the one coming up, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't seen enough of them, but uh, with the experience with John, do you want you to or do you want the experience? <laughs> so it's Galway United, is it? <laughs> Galway, yeah, John, but, Johnny's prompting that answer, that's basically yeah. what he wants for me to say. Yeah. Just, uh, just give him something to hang on to here, you know. I'm in, oh, lads, I better go. 
<laughs> really, thanks, thanks a million for coming on. Hello, hello. Thanks to our sponsors, La La Land, where you'll find all the odds and weekly special bets for the SSE Electricity Premier Division and European markets. Earlier on, we give out their price booster in the Shamrock Rovers St. Pat's game tomorrow night in what is the last midweek SSE Electricity League game this season. And now they're boosting two bets in the Rapid Vienna vs. Dundalk game on Thursday night. You can back Dundalk plus two. That's boosted from five to six to six to four. Uh, and to back Dundalk to score, yes, just to score a goal away in Europe, we've seen them do it before. They're available at 2-1, to one, boosted from 11-8. to eight. So that's 2-1 to one on Dundalk to score. Visit lotoland.ie forward slash sportsbook. Yeah, thanks to Alan and Tim for coming on. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting for Tim and meeting the chairman uh, in these extraordinary times because they've done such a good job. And uh, you know, let's just hope he, hasn't quit. let's hope he hasn't quit by the time the podcast goes out. That would be a bit of a downer for us. You yeah, know, yeah. press release from Drada, Tim Clancy has resigned over budgetary differences. Yeah. Like, this, this was, we had the live preview before the meeting. You know, this is the, true. The last interview as Drada manager. Rennie's team's happy enough. He does, yeah. Well, it's interesting listening to him talk about the 21s. Like, it must be a, a buzz to get to work with some players that are, you know, as, players. He, as he says, like, you know, on average are, are up from what he's worked with before and, um, like it's an exciting crowd. It is like I think there's some 21s generations you might have worked with in recent years, with all due respect, you know, that, that, that would be fairly limited. And you, you can see that where they've gone in their careers. Um, but this one now, that, that, that group of players born in sort of 98, 99, 2000, um, actually, no, it's not it's more later, it's more the sort of early 2000s actually uh, generation um, is a really. It's a really interesting one. It's funny. I went to. I went to the. Uh, I always go back to it. The uh, the game Ireland Holland, where Jimmy Corker and the goalkeeper got sent off for a penalty shootout. Yeah. Uh, in the penalty shootout for for Jimmy now now with Dundalk, but they got sent off. But I always go back to like the Ireland squad in that game. I was looking at it there. So who played in that game for Ireland? That game in Chesterfield. Yeah, Jimmy Corker obviously, but I take some names like Adam Eda played in that game. Troy Parrott played in that game. Jason Knight played in that game. Nathan Collins played in that game. Like that's four players that are now probably established. Max Murphy, who came on and scored for Shamrock Rovers at the weekend against Ben mm. Harps, he was at Stoke City at the time. Ushin McEntee, who's doing quite well for himself at Newcastle. Um, okay, Barry Coffey at Chelsea. Callum Thompson is now actually home in the, in the League of Ireland. Um, but like, and there's a couple of others. Adam O'Reilly came off the bench, who at Preston has got a new contract. Like that, you know that, and that's only what that's only two years ago, two three years ago. So like, that's a very like that group in terms of progressing to first team football at whatever level. It's two years ago, um, they're going well. So uh, the, the, Rennie is getting to work with like the the, and that's the younger that's the younger generation of twenty ones group. Yeah, very exciting time. But let's hear from John Caulfield. You spoke to him last week. We we spoke there about like your your complete about turn in terms of your relationship with John Caulfield. I mean, it's an extraordinary. We could do like a montage, right? We could do an LAY weekly montage across the four seasons. And it, like, it would be just a, a series of clips of you talking about Cork's style of play. Is it time for Caulfield to go? Then out of nowhere, there's a plot twist. And we, we, we cut to a picture of, of you in Bray last Saturday. And not only that, you sent us the picture within five minutes of full time, you sent us that picture. You then sent us this interview. Because this is who John Caulfield goes to. When he when the game goes, when the game ends, no, like, I, I, he I sees the reassuring face of Johnny Ward and he goes, 
there's my guy. Here's what happens. I wanted to get the five o'clock or five fifteen dark, so I kind of just basically accosted him in that little area between. Don't the inter- don't interrupt my link, John. Here's what happened. Do you know what, um, Johnny? Since we came into the club, um, the reaction from the players has been unbelievable. Um, I looked at the squad when we came in, and uh, I thought there was just a lack of belief and confidence in the group. And uh, we've worked hard to try and now. We met with the management when we came in and said, look, this is what we need to do. Try and try and take it again by time, get the lads working. And um, they've been absolutely phenomenal. It's been very difficult. Four games, 11 days. You know, we had two weeks we couldn't train with the COVID. A lot of things were thrown at us. And then obviously in the middle of the COVID, when we were out that time, Cabo got two points that we didn't mm. expect. Mm. So it was, um, we were deflated on Tuesday night after UCD because we'd given everything. But... Um, I admire these guys, they're a brilliant bunch and um, as I said when I came into Galway I saw a lot of potential that I'm hoping that it can release and unlock and uh, and, uh, and a great time for these guys because it's been difficult, they've taken criticism but um, the last 11 games they've won 8 and drawn 1 and you have to admire that about a team. In fairness as well, the subs that have come on have made some difference the last few games. Well I think it's, it's the type of game at the moment anywhere. You need impact off the bench. Um, you know, we know Carlton today. He's been unbelievable for us coming off the bench. Um, a few of the lads were struggling coming into the match. But at the same time, um, you know, Wilson came on, did really well. Mikey came on, did well. It's been difficult because some of those lads had been out of training for some of them for, like, even up, up to nearly four weeks out because COVID suspension. So it has been, it's been hard, but the reaction... You know, in the first half, it was a strong wind on the ground. It was difficult. We didn't play as well as we could. And they had a, a shot brilliantly saved by Maher. And then they had, they had pressure on us. But the second half, we were much better. We opened up and, uh, you know, we had a few, a few chances before we scored. But we these guys. And um, they've been a brilliant team for the club. Well go away. And uh, we have another cup final coming in next week. Do you believe they could do it now? Well, with the heart, with the heart and the attitude of of those type of guys, I think it's possible because I suppose they've scored four goals in four crucial matches, well into the 19th minute in another late goal tonight. Um, you'd say to yourself, I think it's possible with heart like that. And, and a lot of, these lads are good lads, and you know, a lot of young players, a lot of them have to learn the game as well. But you know, they've been outstanding and. To think that we're in the semi-final next next weekend um, from where we were 11 weeks ago is, is, is a credit to those lads. Just finally, what's it like getting enjoying the buzz of a win like that again? You were out of the game for so long. Um, I suppose everyone knows that um, I love football. I'm a football man. Um, I love, I saw this group, I love working with individuals to try and make them better. I love working with a group of people to try and make them better. If there's honesty and hard work there, you have a chance. We have talent. Lots and lots of work ahead of us, Johnny. But I certainly believe within this club we can turn it into an exciting team. Uh, we've scored lots of goals. We, you know, we've created lots of chances in a lot of matches. It has been difficult for four game in 11, but the reaction has been massive. So I believe we can hopefully un- unleash the potential that's in Galway United. Thanks, John.
Johnny? I suppose Longford Galway, Longford were tuning up against Galway and lost 6 2 there not that long ago. And that was one game of this amazing run of away games for since John Caulfield took over. Uh, UCD won 3 0, I think. Uh, went to Cabin Teeley, won with 10 men. Went to Bray twice and won with last minute goals, pretty, or very late goals, and got late goals in other games as well. Funny enough, Galway's form at home has been actually very, very average. And I can't really make head nor tail of that, but uh, it's been a hell of a turnaround. And they will go there expecting that they can beat Longford. Um, but I think what, what I'm interested from you is you kind of would want shells over harps at the moment, wouldn't you? You want, a, you want a team that, like, harps know exactly what to do in these playoff situations. For me, I was at the shells Sligo game, and I thought shells thought the job was done, and it looked like they were safe, basically, at that stage. It hasn't proved to be the case. No, I definitely, the, there's a bit of downward momentum with shells. Now, I think it's going to be very hard for the first division team. Yeah, definitely. In every, in every scenario, I think um, harps, funnily enough, um, and, and we're presuming it's going to be either of those. I mean, I know that there's, there's mathematical possibilities. I think Derry should be able to get the results against Cork. We haven't really spoken about the situation where it, basically it looks like they're gearing up to, to, to give that forfeited game or to give that game uh, to Shamrock Rovers uh, a trip yeah. over Derry. It does seem like it's going that way and Derry might appeal it, but it does seem like it's going that way. I think to be blunt, I think what the FBI, probably the ideal world scenario, they will never say it. They'd be quite happy if if Derry got a result against Cork on Sunday, that that the final table, because they're not going to rearrange this game for Sunday, say, like, if it came to that, that, that Derry couldn't have made the top four, but they couldn't have been in the bottom two, if you know what I yeah. mean. And that, that's, like, the optimum scenario for them. If Derry beat Cork and uh, Waterford don't win, if Waterford lose in Finn Harps and, and Sligo, like, it could get a bit awkward. But but anyway, let's, let's we'll probably cross that bridge when we come to it, but but to go back to the question that you've asked me, um, you, you, you probably, like, people probably, though, the perception of Harps in the playoff is probably built around Ali Buffet, Mucky Knights, mm. BJ Banda, you know, the wins over draw the last year. The thing is, it's in a neutral venue this year, but Harps are actually, they're better passers of the ball in their team this year. They've got experience. But to be fair, there is downward momentum with shells. Things don't look great at the moment. Well, the, the same time, game was, 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 it was, it was a shambles. They were, they were horrendously bad, right? Mm. But the one thing I would say is that, you know, was there just complacency there that if they do suddenly find themselves in a one-off game and they have a bit of time to sort of prepare for it, you still look at Deegan, Kilduff, Ryan Brennan. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what Luke Brown's suspension situation would be, but like, you know, Dan Byrne, like all of a sudden, there's a lot of experience there. And it's like, okay, lads, we've been shocking here. We've ended up in this situation. But you would still look at them player by player and fancy them to beat oh, whoever they play. Yeah. So, but, 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 like, it's, it's funny. Like, Galway have this weird momentum that they've generated. As much as you say, the record hasn't been incredible, but it's been enough to mm. get them into it. Longford, I mean, Longford at one stage last Tuesday against Wexford, they were losing and they could have been taken out of it. You know, mm. now, the way Cavantini had gone with the appeal, they probably wouldn't have, but you know what I mean. Uh, if, if Cove and Galway had both won, actually, Longford still could have been in a tricky, tricky position. Um, and yet, against UCD, UCD missed quite a few chances, yet they have that brilliant joy of the, the late equaliser and then that stunning winner. And like, that, that, that carries them into this. So whoever, whoever wins on Friday will be buzzing, you know? Yeah. And it's not, yeah. it's, not like, it's not like previous years where you've maybe had like a two-legged playoff and even 
even draw to like the time that Jake Holland broke his leg and they've had these really bruising playoff games. I think like Friday in the bowl is going to be more of a, it's going to be a, you know, a, a full-blooded encounter, but I think there will be a positive momentum for whoever wins it. And the only reason you would say shells over hearts is that shells end up in it. They're going to be on a low. Um, whereas if hearts end up in it, it's almost like, well, they'd be prepared for this and they will be prepared for this, you know? Just we'll a, see. Yeah, obviously we'll, we'll have a brief chat about Dundalk's uh, trip to Vienna as well, which is um, very much overshadowed by the, the what's going on in Vienna last night. But the, the first division, or sorry, the Premier Division table, Dan, it's just, um, it's, <laughs> it's a great advertisement for these short seasons because Shelburne to be in a position and Derry to be in a position um, where they could still conceivably get relegated and St. Pat's kind of still clinging on in there in terms of potentially finishing in the top four and Dundalk not fully over the line for third place as well and uh, Sligo not out of it either. No, I, I suppose one thing about the dog situation is that with the cup being the way it is, and the Gatlone, we're probably not giving them enough chat. Like what they did at mm. was amazing. Um, and Dean George hasn't scored all season. So I was watching the game and uh, I was chatting to one or two people during I watched the second half and I was chatting to one or two people to, you know people involved with the league and I was like, Jesus Atlone player, he's got something about him. But I hadn't seen Atlone all year. Mm. I, I actually can't believe he hasn't scored all year. So he's either had the game of his life or he's like He's, he's bringing out the potential that's there. But even how he took the goals was was uh, sort of pretty impressive. And you know, you know, Ronan Manning obviously involved Ryan, too. Ryan's brother having a very good season by all accounts. Yeah, he's one that uh, obviously, you know, um, maybe things haven't run smoothly with him, but he's probably one that you could add to your list of players that really should be at Galway. Mm. All, all, you know, all things being normal, but obviously I know there's reasons for that. Um, yeah, but, but, but I guess what I'm saying is that <laughs> we're saying well they're not long but you're going to lose the cup semi-final I think mm-hmm. they probably will lose the cup semi-final so so basically what you're left with is a situation that if Shamrock Rovers can win away to Finn Harps which you would expect uh, and if they can win at home to Sligo or Derry in a cup semi-final which you would expect then fourth place is enough for Europe in which case Dundalk can't finish out of the top four so they're probably okay um, and really it's that it's, it's that race for fourth that is possibly as interesting as a, a race for third in the sense that uh, we're speaking before Pats play Rovers. Obviously, if Pats lose to Rovers on Wednesday night, they can't, they can't get into Europe. That's, that's gone. Um, whereas if they can somehow get a draw in that game, they have a chance to beat Bowes and creep into the top four because on goal difference, they have a better goal difference than, than Waterford and, and Sligo. Um, so... Like it's it's well the slug of goal difference actually isn't relevant isn't relevant but with Waterford it would be so that Waterford Harps game is actually the key game of the night yeah. Yeah, everything probably hinges on like if Waterford go and win in Harps then it's all over the top four race is over and uh, the relegation race is over so that's it but that is the one game that if things go another way um, if Harps somehow win that game it opens up all sorts of possibilities with the other matches. Before we talk about the most laudable result of the whole weekend, uh, Dundalk off to Vienna, obviously, uh, quitted themselves well against Arsenal for a greater part of the first half, at the very least, and kept in face for a gargantuan task. And um, obviously, Vienna lost to Molde, as did Dundalk. So, in theory, they, they could fancy themselves potentially causing us something of a surprise here. I'm just still not sure about this Dundalk team, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, definitely, you look at the stats, and uh, Molde definitely... No, it still seemed like they had a, they were well on top against Vienna, but they, I, I've mentioned this elsewhere. 
like you look at the other Austrian results in Europe, I mean, uh, Wolfsburg or another Austrian team have been mm. in and around the same level as that, but they won 4 1 away in Feyenoord last week. So, um, and maybe that says something about Dutch football as well, too. But, like, I guess, I guess the point is they're still massive underdogs. Uh, they did equip themselves quite well against Arsenal, definitely. Um, but they had, had a very, Sunday. they had a very focused job against Arsenal. Yeah. I, I've meant this before, like to, to go out and defend, you have a clear focus, and it's sometimes it's harder to be braver. And I think they're obviously going to face a bit more Sunday. I honestly just think, like they they were again, they were quite poor on Sunday. I don't think you can really describe it any other way. I, I do sort of feel deep down. Um, that they probably knew that once they didn't lose on Sunday that Europe was done and it sort of is that they can't be outside Pats can't really overtake them now um, barring sort of mathematical sort of bizarreness so I I think that that as much as they're saying all the right things about these league games Mm. I just don't think that the minds are are fully on them really Um, they're sort of getting through them and that's that's not good. That's not the Dundalk way. And it probably speaks to why they probably need changes. But And I think as well, you have a situation where the, the new manager, who I think is going to get the job. You think he will? There's an expectation that he will get the job. But like he's now probably left in a situation where people are doubting it, doubting whether he should. And, mm. and these league games are a chance to just... You know, get the points on the board and 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 convince people. Now, look at it. I, I he took off think, three of the back five in the in the game, which was very. That's all. Ro- that's all rotation. It's all rotation with with body. But the European games are still. I no matter what they say, like they're still looking at their, but but the, the, but they're, they're looking at their loads and they're probably looking at their their GPS and they're looking at who's done X amount of running. And uh, yes, and you're playing. You're playing Pats on a on a, on a Sunday. You're playing but, again on a Thursday. I, I, I know. Short season. I I, I Who agree cares? No, I agree with you, but but I, but I think that I think that they care because they want maximum performance for the games. But yeah, I think I think the whole perception of the Italian management team is going to be that cup quarterfinal against Bowles. Wow, yeah, I think that's going to be it because the good they are going to probably do enough to finish in the European spots, right? I think yeah. I think they are, and um, I certainly don't think they'll lose to Sligo on Sunday, right? And um, and Sligo probably have the cup quarter final in their mind in a, in a way. But but let's just say I wouldn't be confident about them not losing Sligo to be honest. Like Sligo beat uh, them earlier in the season. I know it was the end of the, the Vinny year or whatever, but yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable uh, that, that was that game wasn't that comfortable, to be fair. The doc missed the penalty. Anyway. Like, like, like I don't think they will lose to Sligo. I'm not saying mm. that I think they're gonna win, but I don't think they're gonna they're gonna lose. Um but 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 really so so the Bowes game, if they can go and beat Bowes in the cup quarter final, and then you would expect that they get to a final, then they've probably, you know, they've, they've achieved probably a lot of their objectives in the time that they've been there, you know? Um, and it's just momentum. Look, if they can, if they can produce a performance against Bowes, you know, in a one-off game, like where they're going to have a good prep for that game, like, you know, like there's no excuses of fatigue mm. for that match at all. If they play Sligo on Sunday, Bowes game isn't until the following Saturday. When international call-ups and stuff, who even knows? They're going to have a good run at that game. There's no excuses for it, really. I think now they can play the excuse game a bit in terms of the tinkering that they're doing. I don't think they've got the balance right with all of their tinkering. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly a lesson. But I, I repeat myself with this. I know you have your reservations about giving them the job. I understand it. 
but I, but I don't think they can wait till. In fact, we had this last week, so let's not repeat ourselves. But I don't think they can wait. I don't think they can wait until December to make a decision. But they they just get to the stage now where I think players are are in a lot of limbo, and they have to be very conscious of that not seeping into the, the rest of Europe and, and ruining. Yeah. you know. Um, it's been great to have the streams and all that. And, uh, you know, to see the, even having come back, walked back from the Pats game on uh, Pats and Dog game and straight onto the laptop to put on Harps and Rovers and Shamrock Rovers shuffled their pack and um, brought in, you know, some players that wouldn't have been played. I thought Lua was very good when he came on. And obviously the kid getting his goal on, on, on Max his Murphy. Max Murphy getting the goal in his debut as well with the aid of a little deflection. Um, so the game against Pats on Wednesday night is going to be very interesting. I think Pats have uh, drawn nil all against Rovers uh, the last twice. Um, this will be a, a little bit different, obviously. But that's on a 7.45 Wednesday. And then the big playoff game on the Friday in Belfield. Um, and all the way then over to Sunday when we've Cork Derry, Dundalk Sligo, Pats Bowes, Shells Rovers, Harps Waterford. The strange situation of uh, all these games being on half seven on a Sunday evening to effectively decide the outcome of the league table. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting weekend then. It is. And before we go, we should pay tribute to our producer. Yes, the Owen. best result of the weekend. The best result of the weekend. They did, uh, what, 20, 27 kilometres? Uh, is that what it was? Owen can come in here. Owen, what did you do? You can, you can tell us. Uh, I turned 27, so I did 27 kilometres for Temple Street Children's Hospital Foundation. And people can still donate, can't they? To the, they to the can still donate, yeah. Um, they can donate on iDonate if they just search Owen Byrne. Um, Temple Street fundraiser, it should come up there. Um, and much, much of it against the wind as well, which probably made it twice as hard. Fair play to the boy own. And uh, yeah, t- t- donate a few quid to the, the Temple Street Children's Hospital. Brilliant achievement. Uh, from it's, great, it's, it's great it's great to have a sort of producer's voice coming in there, isn't it? Yeah. It's, like one of these, it's like one of these American shows where this sort of producer character just comes in. The own has yeah. been there all along. Yeah, he's, all been, along. he's been there like a hologram in the background. He's, 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 he's like... And, and not, like an unsung hero of the pod and clearly a better person than either of us as well as a self as uh, showcases in the last week. I mean, what have we ever done for, I mean, what have we ever done at all? Really? Like I've donated, I've donated to various campaigns, donated, but like, yeah. but 27 yeah. kilometers. For... <laughs> how's the, how's the election going to go down? Well, that, uh, listen, by the time a lot of people listen to this, hopefully it'll be over. Although it also may not be over in January. So like, let's yeah. not, that's not that's not going. You know, the, the the US presidential election could be end up like an Ollie Byrne era primary division. <laughs> you know, like it feels like it feels like there's a Marnie affair waiting to happen here. You know? but, um, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that link that, that link has not been made before. Well done on that. Um, but the lock the lockdown before we go, it's not the worst when you can watch like all the sport that's on and even from League of Ireland perspective watch Dundalk in Europe Thursday watch Pats Rovers Wednesday night it could be worse the, the evenings we've are getting lucky, we've been lucky to have it but again we are the lucky ones that have been able to go to games too and I, I still can't stress like how oh Dan Friday Sunday was so weird like I, I, I it was of all the games I've gone to I, I live relatively close to the ground and I walked up there and it was deathly silent there was no music and I, I, I I'd say I arrived at the ground about 10 minutes before kickoff. There was there wasn't a Sinner in Inchy Core. There was nobody there. I was like, I, I, there was nobody to even let you in. You had to knock on the gate, and it was the most surreal experience of behind closed doors. And I was just like, this shit has to end soon, please. I God. know it's 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 grim, and it is, it is grim. grim. And, and I, I think you know, I don't like complaining about it because I'm able to go to games, but it is not the same. And I think even in analysis of anything, you have to take that into it. It's a half life 
these games. You know, they're not, life, yeah. they're, they're not like they're, they're, it's it's it may not be affecting results per se, but it's definitely affecting the flow and the pattern. Actually, Dundalk and Vienna are due to play in front of a crowd, and that'd be a bit of a different cause, even just to uh, to to listen. They have a restricted attendance there, and and I watched the Vienna Arsenal highlights, and, and it's very different. And they'll probably well we'll see how it goes, but they'll probably enjoy that a lot more in a way. Mm. Oh, and then, then other year they'll, they'll feel like footballers again because at the moment now it, these things are weird. We, we see Rovers launching the appeal to fans, not to congregate mm-hmm. because because they're going to get the trophy with, with, with again with that weirdness. And um, it's a small like, listen. I was in Pats the other day, and the last time I was in Pats was they played Cork on March the eighth, I think it was. And I thought, you know, there was a period, that was my last game before the lockdown. Mm. There was a period where I thought that might be the last game uh, I was at in 2020. Uh, I mean, it would have been the worst. I mean, what a way to go. Like, it was dreadful. But yeah. but, but I guess what I'm saying is that we're, we're, it's great that we have all these football. We've had all this stuff to talk about, the champions crowned and, and promotion stories and all. But it's no way to live. And um, it's no way for, and, and the sport won't live unless no. they get the fans back. So uh, let's hope. But I mean, you know, we're we're in, a, we're in a guessing game on that, and it seems like clubs are doing their budgets, and people like Tim are going to be in that guessing game too. So, hopefully, whenever we're back, we'll have a bit more clarity on that. Yeah, and um, I, I did mention it earlier, but for a club, I, I listened to the RTE podcast. I couldn't believe what Adrian Eames said. That loan have been in the Premier Division once in the last quarter of a century, um, and I never had that idea that the club had struggled because you know I've been. Growing up, going to games and saying Mills, I had this idea of them as being a bigger club, and that was a massive result. You know, they've they've had fans who've um, maybe lost interest, and they've they've been so poor. But to beat Shells, fair play to them. I, I think that 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 really brought at Lone Town back to the fore, and there is life in the bottom of the first division for for some clubs, and fair play to them for that result. And and you could, it would be a money spin in a cup semi final any other year, but it is what it is. Our thanks to our sponsors, Lotto Land, where you can dream big for your Euro Millions and Irish Lotto betting, but also check out the top SC or Trist league and European qualifier markets at lottoland.ie forward slash sports but there are limits to your life